Go ahead. This is your moment. Come on. Stand up, ladies. We love you. We bless you. May God fill your day and life with great joy, and may you see God's favor over your children's children's children. Amen. You can be seated, and thank you. Well, happy Mother's Day to everybody. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus said, any kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and any city or household divided against itself cannot stand, won't last. Jesus said it's impossible to build a family, a marriage, a church, a city, even a sports team when it's divided against itself and have it last. And every day we see neighbors and friends, people we love with a house divided that does not last. So are we divided against ourselves, or are we becoming stronger? A sixth grade teacher in California decided that for a creative writing project, she would ask sixth graders to complete a sentence. And she began the sentence with the words, I wish. She was thinking the kids would say, I wish I had a bicycle or something. But when she collected 30 papers, 20 of them, that's two-thirds, dealt with home life. Some of the typical responses were, I wish my parents wouldn't fight. I wish my father would come back. I wish I could get straight A's so my father would love me. I wish I had one mom and one dad so kids wouldn't make fun of me. I've got three moms and three dads, and they botch up my life. When Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize, she was asked, what can we do to promote world peace? And she said, go home and love your family. There's no greater institution on the face of the earth. It's quite amazing we can put a man on the moon, but we can't get along with people we're committed to and love. A survey taken by a professor from the University of Tennessee and University of Alabama compiled uh, some statistics and put together a small newspaper ad in 25 states in 50 newspapers. And the ad said, if you live in a strong family, please contact us. We know a lot more about what makes families fail, but we need to know more about what makes them succeed. They received over 3,000 responses, and out of that, they came up with six things that just kept repeating themselves and repeating themselves on what made family strong. And by the way, it was not a Christian survey. So let's look at six indicators of a strong family. Number one, they said, commitment, a strong sense of being a team, family identity, family unity. If there was a motto these families had, family first. All of my priorities under the family. All of my energies under the umbrella of my family. All of the things in which you're going to do in life, fine, but they come under the category of the family. Will it help my family? Will it hurt my family? Will it undermine or weaken my family? How will it affect my family? Dads, before you jump at another job or a $100 a week raise and you leave a city or you leave an area and you jerk your family out of a good, strong church or with good friendships, you could end up in catastrophe. You be very careful about how what you're about to do will will affect that family. Family first was the motto that kept ringing back and forth from families that were strong. So let's talk a little bit about commitment. 
You know, when you say wedding vows, a lot of those vows are about commitment, about covenant. We promise to be faithful till death do we part. But we live in a culture in America that does not strongly attach itself to the word commitment. We like options. We don't mind short-term commitment, but nothing on a long-term basis. Uh, for a couple of years back, you couldn't get a gym membership unless you signed up for a year. Now you can sign up for a day, and uh, you can get a car for four months and take it back if you're not happy now. Pretty soon, I guess they'll have a one-day option for marriage. Take her back if you're not happy. I... But see, what's happened is we've lost the power of commitment. I must tell you that God's a God of commitment. God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. God says, whatever I promised you, I will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't, doesn't say, well, if it doesn't rain, well, if I'm in a good mood. No, no. His, he, he makes a commitment and promise. He said, heaven and earth can fall away, but my word will never fail. I won't change my mind. I don't have dementia. And you listen to people today, and they say, well, I'll try. Well, uh, anytime I hear that, I, I translate that. That's Christian nonsense. It just translates, I ain't coming. Well, I'll try. No, you ain't coming. You don't try nothing. You do, you don't. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. It's simple. Yeah. Well, I'm, I kind of, that's like, well, I sort of, let, try that with pregnancy. I'm kind of pregnant. No, no, you either are or you aren't. You're in, you're out. You're up, you're down. Yes and no. Jesus said that, not me. He said, let your yes be yes. By golly, if you make a vow, if you shake a hand, you look, you shouldn't need 14 corporate lawyers when you make a contract or you agree to borrow money or you agree to do something, you should do it. And if you're a Christian, how much more should you do that? We got the most dishonest people in the world. You want to get stripped and screwed faster than anything? Make a deal with a Christian. They, they have become notorious at not keeping their word, not doing what they say, and it's a shame. I'm, I'm here to promote commitment. You know, I'm committed to one woman. She's sitting right over here. Forty-one years I've been committed to one woman. Now, I dated a lot of women. She probably dated some, a lot of guys. When we decided to be serious, I made a commitment, and that's it. So I'm committed to one. I ain't got three women. I got one woman. I'm not committed to three churches. I have one church. Some of you don't understand, well, I'm committed twice a year. Oh, shut up. You can't build a team. You can't build a family. You can't build a nation. You can't build a home without commitment. You can't build anything without commitment. James said, a double-minded man. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, today, but no, tomorrow. Well, I don't know. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man or woman think he will receive anything from God. So if God says, I will... He will. It's that simple. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what He said. So if I say, I'll be there, put it in the bank. If I say, I'll pay, put it in the bank. If I say, I'll bring it, put it in the bank. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And today, our culture demonstrates the fact you can't take anybody's word for anything except God Almighty. 
So how about you? How are you doing on that? You want to build a great family? Be committed to it. You want a great marriage? Be committed to it. You want a great church? Be committed to it. Time, talent, and treasure. You're going to, I'll help, I'll serve. I, I certainly love other people and other ministries, but the best of my time, the best of my money, the best of my service comes to my house right here. This is my spiritual family. That's my natural family. They don't get second best. They get the best I've got. How about you? Because I want to build something that endures generationally. And commitment begins before marriage. I mean, this is important. You're building commitment even before marriage to put value on a relationship that will build it up or tear it down. I mean, look, girls, if a guy is abusive before marriage, he ain't going to get better after you marry him. If he's an alcoholic uh, before marriage, he's not going to be sober because you married him. And listen, you are not going to change him. When, if, he, if he makes a commitment to you and he's a sleep-around guy, he'll sleep around you during marriage. See, you, you, don't, you don't get married and then suddenly you're disciplined. You're disciplined before you get there. I want somebody that's already completed. I don't want a half. I want a whole of somebody. I, I don't want to marry a fraction of somebody. So I, want, so I want my wife to be able to, to count on me. No, we're not perfect, of course. But the point was, our commitment is, un, is unquestionable. It's unshakable. And I'm just saying some of the silly nonsense, well, I'll change him. You ain't going to change anything. When you date somebody, you're getting the best they got to offer right there. That's it, baby. And after that, it's all downhill. <laughs> the real them is home locked up in a cage. You didn't even meet the real one dating. How dumb can we get? But if a person's got good character and good values before marriage, they're probably going to have them during marriage. That's a good in indicator. So if the guy you're with ain't got what you need, it's not going where you want to go, it's not going to get better if you marry him. Cut your losses now and head for, the, head for a, a better opportunity somewhere. I always telling my girls that growing up as teenagers, I said, quit looking for Mr. Hot. Look for somebody got a job and somebody that loves you and is faithful to you and has a, has a dream to be something. Hook up with somebody like, don't drag some dead dog off the street in my house. Because your daddy loves you and loves you and feeds you and takes care of you, he going to eat off of you. I'm going to have that sucker spayed. I'm going to take him down to the vet. I'm going to have this, put him in an animal shelter. Sorry, I'm just speaking as dad today. I, uh, but all these beautiful young ladies out there don't want you to be miserable and unhappy. I'm trying to say you don't get better. You got to come. You got to come complete before you get started on this journey. Commitment. So, if you got discipline before, you can have discipline after. So a strong foundation of commitment begins before marriage ever takes place. Your commitment to the spiritual heritage of your children starts before you ever have kids. You don't wait till you have a baby and say, oh, my God, I've got to dedicate this baby to God. I guess, honey, we, we need to get committed to God. No, no, no. You get dedicated to God before you ever have a baby to get a heritage going, to get a discipline and a lifestyle going. So when that baby's born, you already got your marriage on a rock. You got your life settled on a rock, a foundation. There's a commitment there. That baby's coming into a great environment, and that baby's going to be whole, going to be blessed, going to have a good future because he's coming into a good home and a good environment. So trust and commitment are established on the front end. Can you be trusted? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? Let me give you some glue needed in a home with commitment. Number one, spiritual bonding. 
That's prayer and pulling together. Now, let me get rid of all the spiritual goo that that makes men nervous about praying and insecure. And women, you just need to know men are that way. But the good way to do it is if somebody calls our house and I'm watching news or watching the military channel or watching a game, and my wife's got a phone call and they come pretty regular, and somebody's got a crisis or somebody's going in for surgery, and they said, would you pray for us? Then Cindy will come in and say they've asked to pray for Bill, something, something's happening. TV's off for a second. I'm sitting right there in the chair. I hadn't even gotten up. Cindy's standing in the kitchen, got her apron on. And I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we agree with Peggy that Bill's going to come through this surgical procedure without any incident. He's going to make a full recovery. And I bless the doctor and the surgeon, attending physician, and we pray for that person right there. Amen. Then the TV comes back on. Cindy goes back to cooking. I don't lay in the floor in a fetal position and go into a four-hour prayer. I've listened to some of you. Some of you can't pray. We had a pastor's prayer for the city. There's, everybody's supposed to have 60 minutes. And I told the leader, I said, I'll give you 100 bucks if any one of them can pray 60 seconds. You know, longer doesn't mean it's better. I've, I've heard some of you pray. My wife will go through menopause before you get through. I, I, God, God doesn't need a long, long prayer, especially when we're praying publicly. Stop that nonsense. That's spiritual bonding. Pray together. Ride home in the car. You got a problem with one of the kids or something, they're facing the crisis. Just reach over there, unless you're stick shift. Reach over and grab her hand and say, Father, we pray for Billy. He's going to be okay. Help him find the right school. Help him in this problem in Jesus' name. That's how we do it. We don't have any special. We don't burn candles and have a, a Aunt, uh, Aunt Mary and Aunt St. Paul. And Aunt, we don't invite everybody around. Some of you are nuts. We just talk directly to God. Right out of the car, right out of the ball game in the middle of a living room, right everywhere we are. Or in an office, I've shut the door in an office of a businessman, took his hand and prayed very quiet, don't scream in an office, and prayed very quietly for an agreement for a need going on in that business and to bless it. Done that many times. That's not religious. No man would, would be embarrassed by that. And you can do that. And it bonds you to each other. Then there's emotional bonding. There are times it's easy and times it's not. My wife has discernment in this area about being sensitive to our girls. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a male, and, and I have two girls, daughters, and when they're growing up, they face all kinds of little emotional issues, and I'm sometimes kind of a bear and not as sensitive, but Cindy was a big help. She'll, right now, you be very gentle, and, and la, 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 and she'll tell me why, and I'll be sure my voice tone is low and be sure I'm compassionate and considered and loving, and that's, that's helpful. I mean, I need that help. I don't mean to do something wrong, but that's, you know, I need a little help to get an emotional bonding going. There's mental bonding. That's kind of walking and talking together where you talk about people, problems at your office, your children, your life, what you'd like to do, what they've had today, and you just, you're walking somewhere, you're just talking together. You could, you can just have a, a, a quiet time just sharing about stuff, having a meal together and talking about some stuff, relaxed. And then there's physical bonding. That's where you sit, you kiss, you hold hands, you touch, and you let your kids see it. That's not, that's not inappropriate. That's appropriate. It is perfectly appropriate for a man and a woman together to show affection. Let your kids see you show affection, a kiss. I mean, I'm not talking about climbing over the seat and uh, mauling somebody. I, 
in public. I'm just talking about holding hands or a kiss, affection, put your arm around your wife or something like that. Kids need to see demonstrated how a good, healthy relationship is. And then in private, it's a little bit easier. You don't get frigid and cold because you had an endearing, touching, loving family. I don't remember anybody hugging me saying, I'm so proud of you, my son. So I hug all my daughters and say, I'm so proud of you. I love you. I affirm you. I believe in you. I'm glad God gave you to me because I didn't have that, but I can give that, right? (laughs) Am I coming over sensitive, sweetheart? I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying. Now, here's a second, uh, a second ingredient for a strong family. They spend time together. 1,500 kids were surveyed and asked, what makes a family happy? All the kids said, doing things together. They didn't say money, cars, nice houses. 90% said, doing stuff together. Somebody defined the American home as a domestic cloverleaf over which we pass one another en route to meetings. We used to have family dinners and everybody together. Then your kids, once they grow up, then they've got meetings and they've got stuff at school and everybody's coming and going and passing one another. So what's the difference between quality time and quantity time? Well, quantity time is time you spent waiting for magic moments. Uh, Waiting doesn't mean you just sit around waiting for something great to happen. It just means that overall you spend enough time with your family. You'll be part of those magic moments when they do come. And they'll come. You can't force them to come. But when you have quantity time, there's time lots, lots is not going on. Would you agree? There's just a whole lot of time we're together and there's not much happening. But because we spend quantity time when something wonderful does happen, we're there. If you don't have any quantity time, you won't be there. Quality time is the time you plan to make a magic moment happen. You enhance the possibility of something kind of fun happening, planning a vacation, fun time, going off to do something together. And remember, you need quantity and you need quality. Third ingredient in a strong family was appreciation. Homes that have strength have a great sense of verbal appreciation. I read a definition once that said, home is the place you go when you're tired of being nice to other people. (laughs) That's awful. The receptionist that's nice to everybody on the phone all day at work and then goes home and she's a grizzly bear. Or the pastor that greets his people and hugs and shakes hands on Sunday, goes home, shouts at his wife and kids. That's not appropriate. But we're talking about continual verbal appreciation lifting up every family member, and they need to know how important they are to you. I can't imagine not telling my children, I love you. I care about you. Mom and I are praying for you. You've got some destiny in you. And boy, I've had to say that when it wasn't happening, okay? I remember Jesus talked to the disciples, and he told them about how great they were going to be. And boy, when he said it, Philip was sucking his thumb, wasn't going to believe Jesus was even alive from the dead. You know, Peter left the ministry. These guys looked like total losers. And Jesus spoke to who they were going to become. And they did become that. And we got to do that with our kids too. And I'll tell you something, it is very, it's still done in the Middle East today, and it's quite Bible. You know, you hug those children, you kiss those children, you affirm. You start when they're young, and even when they grow up, and you greet them. If I had a son, I'd put my big bare arms around him, give him a kiss on the cheek, and and hug him. I love you, son. 
That's a manly thing. That's not a, that's not a perverted thing to do. And that's it's done in the Bible. It's done in the Middle East to this day. You, it's, a, it's a good thing to do. Love and honor for a dad that believes in you and is proud of you. And boy, it's like the coach looking at you and giving you the nod saying, good job, good tackle. Yeah, and that's like fuel for your soul. And it is when a dad does that too. Now, some of you come from homes of frigidity and cold and abuse, and you didn't get that kind of affirmation. Well, for God's sake, give it. Give it. And love those girls and tell them how pretty they look. And don't let them fall into their self-pity, and I don't like my face, and I don't like my hips, and I don't like, and I don't like. And girls go through this all the time, you know. And so, Daddy, you just got to be absolutely blind and just say, you look great, baby. You got, you look, I'm proud of you. And if there's anything I can do to enhance that, Daddy will do that. We, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fine. But they just need lots of affirmation. Everybody does. And it enriches a family. It, everybody needs to know somebody's proud of them. Somebody loves them. Somebody believes in them. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. I want to know it too because we're human beings. So real security is an inside job. It happens in the home. Look at the letters in security. S. Spend time together. E, express positive thoughts together. C, consistently discipline. Be consistent on a few basic rules and don't change them. And don't be a rule-oriented household. That is horrible. Just a few basic rules. My upbringing in the military, I can still hear them. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. I still say that. My, my military father taught honor and respect, although he wasn't a Christian. And, and I can, boy, if I ever, even nice, I said, yes. Here, here's his response. What'd you say, boy? I didn't even have a name. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, that's what I thought you said. I can still hear this voice. I'm 71 years old. I still hear that voice. If a woman comes in the room, you stand up. She, I don't care who she is or what, you stand up. If the bus is crowded and the lady gets on, you give her your seat. Don't wait for somebody else to give her your seat. You just don't even think about it. Just get right up. And before we got up from a table, here's one of those rules. What do you say? Uh, Mother, I enjoyed dinner. May I please be excused? I can hear that one too. And it didn't matter if you choked on it. It didn't matter. Mama, I enjoyed that. May I please be excused? Yes, you may. And that's, boy, those were just do's and how we answered our phone. We don't say, hello. You had to say who you were, and you had to say, this is the Godwin residence. This is Ricky speaking. How may I help you? I mean, there was a set standard of discipline in that home, and we live by that, and I still live by that. And I listen to kids out here now in this culture, yeah, no, whatever. And I thought, I'd like to put your head through some sheetrock a couple of times, and we'll get a yes, ma'am out of you. Yeah. Any men and military guys out there can at least identify with that respect? Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And if you watch your children speak to somebody, and if somebody gives them a little birthday gift or a card, what do you say? You have, to, you have to train this. They train them in the military. They didn't come off the street like that. What did you say? You say, thank you. Thank you. You want to make sure you, appreciation can be developed in people. Grateful. Okay? You insecurity. Unite during a crisis. Don't separate. Unite. R, recognize each person's unique value. 
And E, encourage daily. Encouragement is the fertilizer of a family, and it makes people grow fast. Evangelist Bill Glass does a lot of work in prisons. He said over 90% of the inmates were told by their parents growing up, they're going to put you in jail someday. Be careful what you say. The power of life and death are in the tongue. So you be an an affirming person speaking to the future of that child. You correct bad behavior, of course. You can say, that is not who you are. That is not what this family represents. That is not how we behave in our family. So you can correct and discipline without destroying the wholeness of a human being. And you can continue to affirm who they are to be. Number four, communication. Communication builds a strong family. Just folks who get along talk a lot together. Dallas Morning News said the average married couple after 10 years of marriage spends only 37 minutes a week in any intimate or close communication. I love the husband who said, my wife says I don't listen to her. At least I thought that's what she said. (laughs) Half the divorces are credited to lack of communication. He doesn't talk to me. And so I go to marriage seminars. We host them. And I've all been honest to the men to say, I never want to go, but I go to every one of them. And every time I go, I learn something. So I'm trying to say to you, we'll have one next month. Come, lay down your 20 bucks, get you and your wife in here, and God can speak to you. I don't care who you are. I care how insensitive you are, how calloused you are. God will say something to your heart if you're open at all, and it can make a big difference in your life. So I made a habit of telling my wife the exciting news first. So when I go overseas, check her phone. She'll get a picture from me every day. Who am I with? What were we doing? Here's where I was speaking. Here's the crowd. I ran into Darlene Check in, in, in Singapore. Here's a picture. We talked about you. They send their love. If I get good news, if something happened wonderful, the first person I'm going to call or text, depending on my environment, is her. Then I'll tell everybody else. But that's the first one. Now, that builds trust. That builds a bonding between people. And uh, you don't want your wife to say, well, you never told me that, and everybody else is talking about it. You, you told everybody but your wife or your husband. Tell them first. That makes them feel trustworthy, makes them feel value and important, and it builds a family. Number five, coping skills. That just means these people were able to see something positive in a crisis and pull together. They drew on each other's strength. We all know there are crises in families. That's an absolute fact. Let me say three things about problems in families. Number one, every family has problems. Yep, I don't care if you're married to Billy Graham or the Virgin Mary, you've got problems. If you get in a relationship, every family has problems. There are no problem-free families, and the enemy will work on you to say, well, if I, if I was married to him or if I was married to her, then I wouldn't be in this mess and we wouldn't have problems. You're nuts. You take me home for 24 hours and you'll throw me away, Okay. It's just, it's just a fact. I mean, just this, this silly fantasy that goes on in people, like, well, he must be wonderful and all. Are you kidding me? He's part of this fallen Adam race. And the Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. So you can look cute and pretty and all tidy in your hair and your suit and your dress, and you can be a witch, <laughs> or you can be a bear. 
Every family has problems. It's kind of like milking a cow. You got to do it every day, and problems occur every day. If you're a businessman, problems occur every week. If you're in the church, problems occur every week. If you're in a family, problems occur every week. You got kids, problems occur every minute. It's a fact. It's a fact. Secondly, not all families respond the same way to problems. It's not the problem that hurts us as much as our improper response to the problem hurts us. In the Chinese language, the symbol for crisis is the same symbol for opportunity. Some for families, you know, when problems come, they're going to make up. Some families are going to break up. And the third, the family's response to problems will bond it together or break it up. Families that break up don't have the biggest problems. Families that get divorced don't have the biggest problems. If divorce happened only because of problems, everybody in this room would be divorced. That baby said amen. Thank you, sweetheart. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I mean, let me tell you, after you have the happy time, and I do, and I do, and the cake, and the punch, and the la, 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 then you got to live with them. Isn't that a fact? Girls, that's a fact. Guys, that's a fact. And so, if you don't have coping power, you're not going to make it. If you just think, well, I, I thought I married Mr. Right. Look, you, you could marry the right person, but they're flawed. Everybody's broken. Can you get it through your head? Everybody is broken. I don't care what preacher you see on TV, he's broken. You know, what woman you see on TV, she's broken. Everybody's broken. That's why we need a redeemer. That's why we need restoration. It's not going to get better. The grass isn't greener on the other side of the petticoat. It's wherever you water it. So, so water your own garden and take care of it and pull the weeds out. I heard, a, heard about a family who wanted to present a book of a family tree to the father for his birthday. It was a good family, but they had one bad apple in the family line. It was Uncle George, and he had gone to the electric chair for murder. So the family got a biographer to put the family tree together and says, look, please try to make Uncle George look as good as you can. So here's how he took care of Uncle George. Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He, he was attached to his position in the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. Well, that's one way to cope with a problem. And number six, here's the last one. Strong families had a tremendous spiritual faith. Even though this was a secular survey, they all had to admit the dominant factor in strong families, faith. They had a spiritual faith. A survey recently said if mom and dad both attend church regularly, not Christmas and Easter, 72% of the children will remain faithful. If dad attends regularly, 55% of the children remain faithful. If mom only attends, 15% will remain faithful. If neither father or mother attend church regularly, only 6% of the children remain faithful. Wow. What an indictment. What, what an incentive to say, we're going together as a family because I want my kids to have something more than my 401k, more than money. I want them to have the favor of God. And the favor of God will get you money. The favor of God will preserve you in a, in a bad need. Money won't. 
It's money's a good thing. I, I'd like to divide up our property and help get my kids a little bit of a head start if we can. I think most of us would like to do that. But my point is, that's not what's important. If I give them the favor of God, that outlasts anything materially I can give my children. God will preserve them through everything. The favor of God is to be desired more than gold and silver, Proverbs says. Favor. One day of God's favor is worth 10,000 days of labor. Just favor. That's unmerited strength and resources from God. And God says that He will bless our children to a thousand generations. And long after you leave the earth and can't take care of your kids, God's favor will preserve those children for your sake. And I did a, ser a sermon that's probably in a bookstore years ago called Building God a House. And David built God a house, and God, I followed David's genealogy 300 years into the future, and he had some nasty boys. They became kings in Israel, and they were nasty. And here's what it says over and over, but God did not judge him for David his father's sake. Think of that. The sorry rascal should have been killed. Why did God's favor? God's favor was being passed on generationally, even to some obnoxious children. And that's a good to know for all of us parents, no matter what you've gone through, you commit that life to God, and God's favor as the, as the righteous goes over those kids. And that's something you can, it's a legacy that will live on long after the money runs out. That won't run out ever. A group of mothers were discussing the spiritual investment they had made with their families, and they were asking each other, when do you think you should begin making a spiritual investment in your child's life? And most of them agreed at the birth of the child. But one wise grandmother says, oh no. She said, I made my spiritual investment for my family 20 years before my first child was born when I committed my life to God. And I want to offer you an opportunity today to have a family that's strong, a family that's favored, a family that's blessed. I don't know what the past is, but forget it. Move forward. Move on. God's a God of new beginnings, and I'm so glad He is. There are moms and dads here that need to make a spiritual investment in your family, and you do that by giving your life to Jesus Christ. A strong family begins with your personal commitment to our Lord today, and I hope you'll make that investment today. Don't wait. Do it now. It's not too late. It's never too late. If you're breathing, God still listens. God can still move in your life. Better late than never. Better late than never. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.